Well, good morning again, and I didn't get a chance to, at the beginning of the service, we had so many things going on. It was great to welcome you, especially you who are visiting with us for the first time. I've met some of you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, and, and I hope if you live in this area that uh, on your way out, perhaps you would just uh, stop by the welcome desk and give us a record of your attendance, at least a name and an email so we can keep you connected with all that's going on at, at Avalon Church. I missed you last Sunday. I was... I was in the Seattle in the great Northwest with my parents, celebrating my mother's 84th birthday, and being with my dad who just turned 89, and it was a very special time. The, the sun actually shone a day, and it was, it was special, you know, to be out there. So I, I am so glad that uh, you, you all are here with us this morning. Pastor is out of town, and he asked me if I would continue our study in the book of John. And so I am honored and, and privileged to be able to do that. And so if you would with me, but please, please turn to... The Folks, this is, this is Nancy. <laughs> She's, Nancy's a little unpredictable. Uh, Nancy, so what, what's the occasion? I mean... Uh, uh, and, and help me understand, a, a, a truckload of flowers? Yeah. You know, I love Jesus so much. And this week, that love overwhelmed me. So I cashed in my retirement, and <laughs> I bought a whole truckload of flowers for him. You, you cashed in your retirement? Yeah. And a whole truckload? Yeah. So exactly how much was that retirement? It was Nancy? about $75,000, which meant whole truckload of flowers. And I guess you would like some men yeah, to come, like some men to come to help, help you to help you unload the, yes. the truckload of yes. flowers so Absolutely. I could so I could preach. Oh uh, Pastor Jim. Oh Jeff, uh, what? Yeah, look. Um, I know Pastor Dale's away and you're taking some liberties, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> this is the time of the service where you preach the sermon to us and teach us about God. So maybe have Nancy take a seat. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, where, you know, Pastor talks a lot about grace and all. So can you can you just kind of relax a little? Um, I've heard of it, but um, <laughs> so so anyway, seventy five thousand dollars. Maybe today you could switch your sermon to stewardship. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that could have bought some poor person a vehicle. I mean, like me. Uh, or, I mean, and also have flowers. We're bringing $75,000 worth of flowers to the person who made them. Um, so. <clears throat> oh. 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 So you, this is not good for you today. No, we need to get back to the business at hand. Thank you. <laughs> N Nancy? Pastor Jim, I just wanted Jesus know how much I love him. That's it. Okay. Hey, folks, we've got a real issue here. We've got a real challenge because, see, Nancy said she did it for Jesus. Jeff says that cannot be. Uh, I don't know. Why don't we ask Jesus and we'll see. John 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. Then Mary, 
Lazarus' sister, took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped her feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was worth a whole year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, the keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And then they plotted to kill him. If we look at the parallel verses, the parallel scriptures in Matthew 26 and and Mark 11, we we learn some other elements uh, about this interaction that occurs at Bethany. We, We learn that it was at the home of Simon the leper, we learn that when she, when she busted open this, this expensive uh, container of perfume, she put it not only on his feet but on his head. We learn that the disciples rebuked him, rebuked her, I mean, rebuked her sharply. It wasn't just a mumbling in the background. It was a Jeff Coates kind of thing, standing up in the middle of the church and saying, what? This ain't the way we do it, Jesus. They rebuked her harshly. To which Jesus responded, this is a beautiful thing. This story will be told every time the gospel is shared from now until the time I return. Oh, well, apparently Jesus has a different opinion than the disciples. Why were they so upset with Mary? Why did it bother them so much that she would do that? Why did it bother Jeff and his little cadre of Protestants? (laughs) Protestants. Why did it bother him so much that Nancy would cash in her retirement, spend $75,000 on a truckload of flowers that are just going to sit here on the stage because she loved Jesus? Why, Why does that bother the disciples and Jeff so much? I think if we look at all of the three parallel passages, and just by note, the, the other passage in Luke 7, about another time when another woman comes and, and breaks perfume, pours oil over Jesus, different time, different place, and a woman of an entirely different reputation. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, was a woman of, of strong faith. The woman who came in Luke 7 was a woman of sin a prostitute who had come to him. But if we, if we look at all three of those parallel verses, I, I looked and drew out what I think are two, three, four things that really were the reason they were so upset. Why Jeff is so upset. Why you might be so upset with Nancy. They assume Jesus must care about what they care about. If it's important to me, it must be important to Jesus. And it's important to me that I get a new truck. It's important to me that that money should have been given to pay off part of the mortgage. It's important to me that Avalon Church would have got a good reputation for taking $75,000 and 
feeding a bunch of poor. It's important to me. I just assume that because it's important to me, it's important to Jesus, because surely Jesus cares about what I care about. You, you get that, don't you? You understand. There's an assumption in a relationship with Jesus that what I want, well, I, I want to be happy. Surely Jesus cares about what I care about, so he's going to make that all work for me. I want to be financially stable, so surely Jesus is going to make that all work out, right? I, I want to be healthy, therefore Jesus is going to heal me all the time. I want to do what I want to do. Surely Jesus would want me to be happy. Well, they had a little trouble because they assumed that Jesus cared about what they cared about, and they cared about a year's worth of wages being wasted. They assumed Jesus only deals in the practical. This was a practical issue. A year's worth of wages could have been spent differently in a practical world. We've got a plan. We've got a spreadsheet. We, we know how we want to do this, Jesus. That was Jeff. This is not practical. These flowers are going to sit here for three days and wilt, and the housekeeping people are going to take off a whole stage, a truckload worth of flowers, complaining the whole time. Because they have to take them out. They assumed that Jesus was ought to be dealing only in the practical. What about the poor? What about... Because that's what they had experienced a whole lot in their journey with Jesus. He, he healed the sick. He raised some dead folks. He fed a lot of people. And so in their mind, it was Jesus came to deal with the practical issues of life. But as Pastor Dale has been trying to teach us, Jesus spends a whole lot more time talking about the kingdom of God. And he does the practical things just to demonstrate that he really is God. But they assume Jesus deals only in the practical. They assumed Jesus needed them to rebuke others for him. Like that one? Yeah, yeah. We know because we know that Jesus must care about what I care about, and we know because Jesus only deals in the practical. We already know what Jesus is thinking, so, uh, and he's a really nice guy, and he wouldn't do this, so we have to do it for him. It's really important that we rebuke others for Jesus because apparently he's not capable of doing it himself. Now, and there's a difference, I guess, to some degree, to come alongside someone and say, you know, have you considered the path that you're on, the choices you're making, you know, or maybe not be consistent with what God says? That's one thing. But that's not what is recorded in the Scripture. It says they rebuked her harshly. They were just nasty. We do that, don't we? We tend to look at others and say, Jesus wants you to know, he sent me an email that I'm supposed to tell you that you're all messed up. In Jesus' name. <laughs> and they associated primarily with Jesus to get what they wanted. They were trying, they were trying to learn about the kingdom. Jesus was teaching 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 about going to Jerusalem. Jesus was teaching about going there to die. But really, the words you hear the disciples saying, oh, you know, in all the occasions that we get to hear them recorded, it's really just about what they wanted. I want stuff. 
I want to sit on the right and left hand of Jesus when he gets to glory. <laughs> you know, I want to cut off servants' ears. I want to defend you to the death. I want, I want. Um, they still were missing the big message. They were not, even at this point, and we're mere days away from the crucifixion, they were not very kingdom-oriented. They assumed Jesus must care about what they care about. They assumed Jesus only dealt in the practical. They assumed Jesus needed them to rebuke others for him. And they associated primarily with him to get what they wanted. Because if I've got a good line to God, and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, then I'm pretty sure I'm going to get a new car in 2016. One interesting element of that moment in that house in Bethany when she busted open that perfume, it's recorded that the aroma filled the room. And no, oh, Jeff's over there going, I don't like flowers. They give me allergies. That's it. Okay, but the reality is that if we brought a truckload of flowers into this place, we'd know who has allergies. Um, the aroma filled the house. Maybe the aroma filling the house was disturbing to them because Jesus is standing up and saying, no, 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 this is a good thing. And the aroma would convict them. I don't want Nancy running up here with $75,000 worth of flowers because um, I, the more every, every flower arrangement she brings reminds me that I probably don't love Jesus that much. So they called it waste. They called it waste. Jesus says, no, it was wonderful. It's a beautiful thing. It's a good work. And then he goes really beyond, and he says, it's so incredible that they're going to talk about this moment every time the gospel is preached until I come back again. Jesus had seen a lot of other things happen with his disciples. You know, Peter kind of walked on water for a while. Uh, they'd done and said many other things, you know. Uh, you are Christ, the Son of the living. Not one time with all of those incredible little interactions of life did Jesus say, well, Peter, you know what? They're going to tell this story about you until I come back again. John, good thing, good thing you did that, man, because they're going to tell that story about you every time the gospel is preached until I come back again. Nope, one time. This lady right here. I spent a lot of time in preparation for this sermon going, why Jesus? Why Jesus? Why this one? Why this event? Why not Peter? Why not John? Why not? Well, I kind of came to these conclusions. And there's probably more, but they're the ones I came to. Um, Jesus said they're going to talk about it because it was remarkable. And it was remarkable in three ways. Probably more. It was remarkable for its motive. It was a pure, loving heart. I just, as Nancy said at the very end, I just want Jesus to know how much I love him. While it did draw attention to her, that was not her motive. No more than it was Luke's motive to say, I need to get up there on the stage and pray for Jesus so everybody will know that I'm Luke Proctor. No more than really it would be Nancy's motive because I know Nancy and I know her heart. It, if she bought literally a $75,000 truckload of flowers, it would not be so that we'd all go, oh, Nancy, you're cool. 
That just wouldn't be it. It would be because she wanted Jesus to know how much she loves him. It was remarkable for its motive because the pure loving heart did not want to manipulate or bargain with Jesus. If I bring him $75,000 worth of flowers, well then, I'm sure life is going to go really good for me. And there we go thinking about the practical again. It was remarkable in that it was done for Jesus alone. While the room is full of 500 people, when Nancy started bringing flowers, you don't exist. You're not in the room for Nancy. As she's coming down the aisle over and over again, bringing vase after vase of flowers, it's about Jesus. It's just for him. A gift just for Jesus. She doesn't really care about you. And it was remarkable, this woman who brought what would end up as a, a year's worth of wages. It's the security. It's the safety. It was remarkable, remarkable in that it was unusual. It was extraordinary. It was extravagant. It was even reckless. Probably because Mary was the only one in the room as a woman who sat at the feet of Jesus and listened. She was probably the only one in the room that really understood what Jesus was about to experience. The disciples are still caught up in the practical in it, and, and I think perhaps it's not written there, but I just, I just get a sense that Mary had listened deep in her heart and, and she anticipated, she believed my Lord is going to die. One interesting element to me about pouring that perfume on Jesus' head and feet, if you look at the sequence in the scripture, Jesus doesn't have time to take a shower before he dies. No time for a bath. So as he's walking to the Last Supper, Just an odor, the gift of love that had been bestowed on him. As he's going to the trial, they're mocking and criticizing him. There's a reminder of extravagant love. As they're beating him and the blood smell starts to rise on his body, somewhere there in his hair is the aroma of love. You know how that is, don't you? You know how it is sometimes when you just, you just walk along, minding your own business, and all of a sudden, there it is. Mama's biscuits. Or whatever it may be. The aroma of love. Folks, there is no single right way to have a relationship with Jesus and to express love to him. No, 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 it's my way. No, I don't want you all going out and cashing in your retirement. Please don't, unless, unless the Spirit of God leads you to do that. Because that was right for Nancy. That was right for Mary. But there's no single right way. But boy, are there a lot of wrong ways. There were the disciples. The pastors and the elders of Avalon Church gather Thursday every Thursday morning at O'Dark Early, 
and throughout the week and pray for you. Pray for you, sometimes specifically by name, that you would have an intimate and deep relationship with Jesus, whatever that looks like or means for you. We want that fervently. But you know, sometimes there's a challenge for me having come up from a time of prayer like that. Uh, And it's probably a challenge for you too. As I'm praying, Lord, help them have a fervent and deep relationship with you. Now I'm going to go watch and see if they're having one. Right? I want to know, are you having a fervent, deep, intimate relationship with Jesus? And my temptation is to do it by looking to, at your behaviors. <laughs> and most of the time, I'd be wrong, just like the disciples were with Mary. Now, obviously, Jesus taught clearly that you can know a tree by its fruit, that, that branches connected to the vine bear fruit that everybody can see. But I just don't want us to get all easily caught up that, you know, in my own self-evaluation or my evaluation of y'all or your evaluation of me, that says, well, Jim, Jim reads his Bible daily. Jim works in the nursery. Jim gives a regular offering. Jim leads two life groups. Uh, gee, I, I don't know, Jim might even go out and buy $20,000 worth of flowers. But that's not necessarily an indication of an intimate relationship with Jesus. Lots and lots of good, good things are done from a heart of duty, from a sense of commitment, sometimes just from fear. Folks, only you, only you know the focus and the motive of your heart. Mary had a single focus on Jesus that motivated her to express her love and devotion without consideration of a precedent that's never been done before, or the opinions of you all. Nancy did the same thing. Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher of the 19th century, uh, once said of a fellow evangelist, George Whitfield, and I quote, All those who have done wonders for Christ have always been called eccentric and fanatical. Nancy said, why'd you pick me to do this? I said, because you're a crazy lady. (laughs) Eccentric and fanatical, he says. Why, when Whitfield first went on Bennington Common to preach, because he could not find a building large enough, it was quite an unheard thing to preach in the open air. How could you expect God to hear prayer if there was not a roof over the top of people's heads? And how could souls be blessed if people had not seats and regular high back pews to sit in? Whitfield was thought to be doing something outrageous, but he went and did it. He went and broke the alabaster box on the head of the master and put the perfume on the head of the master. In the midst of scoffs and jeers, he preached in the open air. And what came of it? a revival in America of godliness and a mighty spread of faith in Jesus Christ. And Spurgeon went on to wrap up by saying, I wish we were all of us ready to do some extraordinary thing for Christ. Willing to be laughed at, willing to be called a fanatic, 
to be hooted and scandalized because we went out of the common way and were not content with doing what everybody else could do or would approve of being done. Spent an hour last week speaking with Skip Thingfish. The majority of you don't know him. Skip leads We're on the Street Ministries, which is one of our partner ministries, a ministry to the homeless in Central Florida. Skip is doing extraordinary things for Jesus, and you haven't got a clue. It started small. It was, I'll feed the homeless on Sunday after church, and next thing we know, we have buildings, and he's traveling all over the county, and he's taking meals, him and his crew, to 1,700, you know, people that need... It's extraordinary. And he's worn out, and he's tired, because it's hot and it's sweaty in the woods where the homeless people live. And I said, Skipper, how's your health? And he says, not as good as it could be, but I've got to keep going. Because he's bringing $75,000 worth of flowers to Jesus. Okay, getting close to the end. Uh, I think often of Tyler and Brady as we're talking along, and they'll go, squirrel! You know what that's about? That's about, I'm really focused on this, squirrel! Okay? There's a whole bunch of squirrels in the room right now. Stop looking at them. If you're texting, stop texting. If you're reading your scripture, stop reading your scripture for a minute. Just stop so the squirrels don't distract you. There are three points that I want you to walk out with. One, too many of us still participate in idol worship. And I'm not talking about I-D-O-L, although that's true too. Pastor talked about that last week, didn't he? But no, no, no. I, too many of you and me, of us, we still participate in idol worship. Worship. Our worship on a day-to-day basis is predictable, efficient, and to tell you the truth, sometimes just simply boring. I'm going to go to church. Arthur's going to sing. We'll stand up too long. We'll sit down. We'll take an offering. Some pastor is going to preach. And we'll walk out going, that was great worship. Yeah, no, it was really pretty predictable. It was quite efficient. Thank you, Arthur. Um, But sometimes it's just simply boring, folks. Idle worship. Oh, it's worship, but it's kind of idle. If there is never a stirring in your soul that causes you to ponder an extravagant expression of love, I can guarantee you will never hear Jesus say of you, You have done a beautiful thing for me. If there's never a stirring, there'll never be an expression. And folks, extravagant love doesn't have to be grand where everybody sees it. It doesn't have to be expensive, $75,000. The widow 
who came to the temple and gave her last penny got the exact same praise that Mary got for a year's wages. For some of us, extravagant may simply be that I bring an offering next Sunday. <laughs> Jesus, I love you so much, I just, I just need to bring an offering. Uh, maybe you'll call Deanna and say, hey, is there any place for me to work on the children's ministry? Maybe you'll walk out the door and see Ira and say, I don't know what this life group thing's all about, but everybody keeps harping on it. Maybe I, maybe I better check out a life group. Hey, hey, maybe extravagant love for you is going to be you just go next door and talk to your neighbor. And not because it's good, although it may be, or not because you should, although you probably should, but simply because you want Jesus to know how much you love him. Idle worship. Don't let it be idle. Don't let it be predictable. Don't let it be boring. Number two, where you look or where you are looking is where you almost always end up. Profound. But it really is a truth. Where you are looking is where you almost always end up. Because that's the direction you're going. Mary was looking to love Jesus Christ. I... I I'm looking. I love Jesus. I need to let him know how much I'm looking. And I can't, I can't look at the practical. I can't look at the objections. I just need to look at loving Jesus. And oh, look where I ended up. A story being told about me for millennium. Whitfield was looking. He was looking for large crowds of people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And he looked past the objections, and he looked past the, there's no buildings big enough. He didn't go, well, okay, I guess we'll have to have two services in the building. He said, no, we're going to do this in an extraordinary way. We're going to go outside. Ah, outside. And the Jeffs stood up and said, well, that ain't the way we do it here. Hey, on the plane, going to see my parents, the connection from Dallas to Seattle. Debbie didn't have enough vacation to come with me, so it was a solo trip. And I'm sitting there on the aisle so I can go pee a lot. <laughs> easily. And, and a 92-year-old man sits in the middle seat next to me. And he's kind of settling in. And he reaches in his pocket. And he pulls out a flip phone. You know how to work one of these? I'm sure I can figure it out. How come? New phone. Got two numbers entered in it. People I need to call. Okay. Sitting on the tarmac. Is this one of them? Yeah. Okay, there you go, sir. Sam! I'm on the plane. We're leaving pretty soon. Going to take us... How long? About four hours. Gonna take us four hours. Okay. Thanks. I close the phone. Everybody's looking around. They said, Why does he need a phone? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need to call the other one. <laughs> All right. Dolores, I'm on the plane. Gonna take about four hours. Pick me up. Tino out. He caught on to shutting it by flipping it. It was great. 
but then in his pocket. Fascinating man. Oh, it was a hoot there for a minute. But then he started to talk. 92 years old. And he wanted to tell me about his most recent trips to China. He is a very active member of his Baptist church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Some of you know where that is. And he takes pictures. And so groups go to China, and he's been there twice, and he takes his camera, and he takes pictures of orphans so they can post them back home and get people to adopt an orphan. He said six weeks ago, he just got back from Mexico. His church had gone down to build a building for a family that needed housing. He went and took pictures. And he says, you know, I think, I think, I think I'm going back to China in March. No, it actually was this. I think I'm going back to China in March. He says, but when I go there, I, I pay the extra for business so I can sleep. Yeah, I would. And then he said, okay, it's good talking to you. I, I bought a book. I need to read a book. Okay. He reaches in. He pulls out, how to think like Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> and it's a chapter about intuitive deductive thinking and then exercises. Got his pen. <laughs> Andy was his name. Let me tell you, Andy, where he is looking is where he almost always ends up. He's not looking at his pain. He's not looking at his age. He's not looking at his slowness. He's not looking at what other people tell him he can't do. Where he is looking is where he invariably ends up. Folks, sometimes I know we talk about how we put God in a box. But sometimes I think we put us in a box. I can't do that. That doesn't, yeah, where you were looking is where you almost always end up. And last, the one who is forgiven much loves much. This is the quote out of that passage in Luke 7. And even though it was about a different woman who did a very similar thing, okay, that woman, a prostitute, came and she was rebuked harshly. And Jesus said, listen to, listen to the host, listen. I came, you did nothing for me. She has not stopped. She's cried, she's anointed me, she's wiped the tears off my feet with her hair. What extravagant love. Let me tell you why. Because the one who is forgiven much loves much. Now, I'm, I need to change that a little bit so you get it. Jesus died on the cross to forgive you. Let's change it to how... It, for me, it makes application. The one who is aware they have been forgiven much, loves much. You've already been forgiven much. Me too. But sometimes we're just not very aware of it. I am often sorry for my sin. But I am rarely sorrowful. And there's a difference. I don't think I'm like a 
rebellious little child, a little nasty kid, but don't you hate hearing this from your children? I'm sorry. Or your spouse? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Because I'm sorry sometimes doesn't convey much. Sorrow over sin, a deep awareness that I have offended Jesus. I participated in killing the Son of God. No, no, no. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, wasn't there? Yeah, you were. Yeah, I was. And the sorrow over sin ought to make us cry out. What must I do? The absence of love stirring in me and stirring me to some kind of expression to the Lord probably reveals my lack of understanding of sin, my sin, forgiveness, and repentance. If my worship is idle, it's probably because I really don't understand or comprehend my sin and the price it cost Jesus. Folks, we need to love Jesus enough to repent. If I truly love him, I will keep his commandments. I may not like them. I may not understand them. I may not see how they're going to work out. All things work together for the good of those. So if I just do it, it's all going to be good for me. No, that's not what it says. All things work together for the good of the kingdom. Whoa, now, whole different world. If I truly love him, I will keep his commandments, and the cost of doing so may be the greatest gift of love ever. You want to love Jesus extravagantly? Then quit being so idle. Look someplace bigger and give him the greatest gift of all. Repent of your sin. For some of you, that is the repentance of the sin of unbelief. I don't know if you're going to commit committing adultery or robbing today, but here's one thing you can do today. You can acknowledge that I participated in killing Jesus by my sin and I get the magnitude of that, and I want to give Jesus a gift of love, and so I'm going to repent of my unbelief, and I'll come down and talk to someone about it. Okay, guys, come on up. One day, Mary busted open the perfume. They accused her. Jesus acknowledged her. They criticized her. Jesus complimented her. They cried waste. Jesus said, this is wonderful. I love the aroma. Why don't you stand with me, please? Lord Jesus, Mary came overwhelmed by love because, among many things, she had her eyes solely focused on you. She was willing 
to love you extravagantly just like you were loving her extravagantly. Maybe like the other woman in Luke 7, she was aware of her sin and the one who is aware of how much they're forgiven just can't help but love much. Lord, would you help us just in a moment of reflection to look inside me and if there's no stirring at all, if it's just dead and silent, Lord, reveal yourself to me. I want to love you in extraordinary ways. And if that love for you this morning is going to be expressed by repentance from unbelief, by coming and sharing with someone, I have chosen to reject Jesus until today. I've got a gift for him. It's the gift of repentance. Then, Lord, encourage them to do that. Be glorified is my prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen.